This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. The 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has formed his cabinet and things seem to be chugging along relatively smoothly for the mixed coalition government. But at the same time, the survival of this government, but at the same time, the survival of this government relies not just on competency, but also our fluid and highly volatile political landscape. Question is, will Anwar survive the vote of confidence on the 19th of December? Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Dr. O. A. Sun, Principal Advisor of the Pacific Research Centre. Welcome to the show, Isan. How are you? I'm doing okay. Rather busy nowadays with the politics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a very fluid and, and constantly moving political landscape, Isan. So yes. let's start with some overall thoughts on the unity government or more appropriately, the mixed coalition government. Um, you know, the coalition consists of PH, BN, GPS and um, GRS and some smaller parties. What are your overall thoughts on this quote-unquote unity government? Well, it's a hastily cobbled together coalition government with uh, perhaps a common political rival uh, in the Parikatan National in general and uh, the PAS or PAS uh, in particular. So you see, for example, very strange bedfellows uh, such as uh, Amno and uh, uh, Pakatan Harapan coming together in this uh, government. One being more, uh, shall we say, traditionalist, the other being more uh, reformist. And then, of course, you have drawn into the mix uh, uh, the GPS from Sarawak as well as the GIS uh, from Sabah, all with their different and sometimes uh, contradictory uh, political ideologies. So let's see uh, how long this coalition could last. Absolutely. Do you think that um, there were other ways? Because many uh, criticisms against Pakatan Harapan is that they are working with um, Barisan National, which previously they said they won't work with. Um, And then you also have, um, like you mentioned, strange bedfellows, right? Including GPS and, and whatnot. Do you think this could have been avoided um, or any other formations could have come together given the actual circumstances at hand? Well, you have uh, three major uh, political or party coalitions, uh, each having a substantial number of seats, but not having obtained uh, an outright majority. So, for example, it's either uh, Pakatan uh, going into coalition with Parikatan, or Parikatan going into coalition with uh, Barisan, or as in this case, uh, Barisan going into coalition with uh, Pakatan. So the, in that sense, uh, well, even though before the election, you might have uh, said something uh, not so nice, in fact, quite nasty about the other two coalitions, then after the election, the political reality is such that if you want to become part of the government, then you have to work with uh, one of the rival coalitions. And in this case, Barisan and Pakatan decided uh, to choose each other. Yeah, Right. Um, 
with that in mind, DAP stalwart um, Lim Kit Siang, he said that there are a number of challenges for the new Prime Minister, uh, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, to overcome. So he lists the vote of confide- confidence in December, UMNO's upcoming general meeting in January, uh, the six states' elections um, likely in Q2 of 2023. Do you agree with his read that these are challenges that Anwar Ibrahim must face? Well, indeed, I think he highlighted some of the major political challenges. Uh, I would actually go even one step further and said this is a very uh, uh, precarious or even fragile uh, coalition. Uh, So, for example, the the, uh, vote of confidence on the 19th, on the surface, uh, Anwar would sail through it uh, quite easily. In fact, Anwar even boasted about obtaining, let's say, a two-third majority during the vote of confidence. But of course, a lot of things uh, could uh, transpire. Uh, some of the uh, members of parliament who are supposed to support Anwar, they might eventually uh, not support him, for example. Uh, I mean, you may think that... Uh, you know, that would trigger the uh, anti-hopping law, but uh, it doesn't. So, for example, an MP who still remains with, let's say, Amno, but uh, he or she decides uh, not to support Anwar, then, uh, well, uh, if enough numbers of these uh, MPs doing so, Anwar may or may not win this uh, vote of uh, confidence. And uh, in general, almost on every single day, he will have to tackle this sort of uh, challenge because, uh, again, at any one point, some of those MPs who vowed to support him may no longer uh, do so. Uh, the, uh, for example, the upcoming the state elections, uh, well, the, you see, there are six states who are facing state elections. Uh, right. I think, the, yeah, uh, Keda and uh, Trangano and Kelantan, I think they are goners. I think they will go to pass. But even the other three, Penang, Selangor, and Negri Sembilan, I think Pakatan and Barisan will have to work very, very hard in order to retain uh, you know, their rule in those states. Yeah. Right. So I want to circle back to the state elections a little bit later. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talk about the fragility of the situation. Um, do you anticipate... Uh, is on another Lanka Sheraton of sorts happening despite there being the anti-hopping law in place because there are some quarters within Perikatan National such as Shahidan Kasim who have openly said there are, that there are efforts underway to topple the current government. At the same time, uh, one Ahmad Faisal on a recent breakfast grill, he came on, on and he rubbished that um, claiming that they are ready to play the role of opposition and provide checks and balances. How do you read this? Well, I think Shahidan, uh, it's perhaps ready for some action while uh, one, uh, well, you know, would like to play uh, opposition. Um, I, I think after Lanka Sheraton, uh, anything is uh, indeed possible. And as I said, on a daily basis, there might not be scheming today, but there could be scheming tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, anti-hopping law, it uh, stops, uh, for example, the individual MPs from the resigning from a party and bringing the seat uh, with him or her to another party. But uh, as long as uh, he or she 
sort of manage to maintain their membership in the party, but then they don't follow the dictates of the party leaderships. I think they could still keep uh, their, their their seats. And then you would have uh, sometimes a whole party hopping to the other side. So Anwar would have to, uh, again, tackle and handle all these uh, possibilities. Right. Would it be, what would, what do you think would be in Perikata National's best interest? Because even right now, um, you know, they, they didn't form the government, but compared this election results, if you want to take pass um, and combine with Bersatu, or even if you just look at pass logo individually, if you combine this, uh, compare these elections compared to previous elections, um, they are huge victors. Ultimately, they are the ones that gained the most these elections despite not winning. So should they just accept the fact that they are I mean, on the right track as far as their strategies are concerned and just play the role of opposition? Well, uh, nowadays, uh, again, after the Sheraton move, uh, anything is possible. So why not, you know, the, my side of the political divide forming the government instead of uh, the other side? I think uh, there are uh, elements within Perikatan National uh, within PAS and within Brasatu, who are very eager to form government as soon as possible for different reasons. I think uh, for uh, Brasatu is to make sure that Brasatu remain uh, relevant and not uh, sort of uh, fizzle out uh, over time. You know? And that could be done only uh, if uh, Bersatu were to be in a, in a uh, dominant position in the, in the government. Now, for PAS, I think they would also like to become government uh, or at least be, becoming part of government because then they can use uh, public resources to further push uh, their theocratization uh, uh, agenda. So for different uh, reasons, but ultimately, I think they are very eager to uh, form government here. Right. Um, you know, on that front, right, I, we, we talk about the fragility of the current government, but we also know that a lot of times um, the losing side, um, there is a, sometimes within their own ranks, there is a lack of confidence, perhaps a, a bit of desperation, and then they will try to um, find ways to perhaps leave and join the government um, and, and so on and so forth, um, which is why we have the anti-helping law in the first place. But recently, um, the Sabah, uh, a, a, a fraction of the Sabah arm of Perikata National, um, including uh, YB Hajiji Noor, he has decided, they have decided to leave Perikata National. Um, two questions on that. Number one, there seems to be a lot of confusion even among experts as to whether um, this departure would be legal or would there need to be another by-elections um, as a result of the anti-hopping law? So how do you read that? And on top of that, what does this signal as far as Purikata national strength is concerned? Because on the one hand, we just talked about how they um, you know, suffered, I mean, uh, su they garnered their biggest election victory um, if you look at PAS and Purikata national as a whole. But on the other hand, it seems like there are with people within their ranks that are losing confidence with uh, with the with the coalition. Well, uh, I think number one, uh, the language of the anti-hopping law would need to be uh, tightened up uh, a little bit. Uh, 
For example, uh, in this case of uh, some members of parliament leaving so-called Basatu uh, Sabah, I think their argument would be they were elected uh, under the GRS logo. And well, they are still with GRS. Therefore, there's no question of them uh, leaving GRS and therefore they should remain member of parliament. But uh, from the Basatu point of view, the, well, the, these uh, MPs, uh, they were GIS MPs because uh, they, they were Basatu members. So if they say they are no longer Basatu members, then automatically they are also not uh, uh, GIS members uh, anymore and therefore they should lose their seats. So the, I think ultimately, if indeed uh, such an argument uh, would go forward, it's very likely that uh, it's going to end up in court and our court system would have to uh, ultimately uh, decide uh, which, uh, which of these interpretations uh, it, uh, is more accurate. Um, as to uh, the viability of Perikatan National, I think the more uh, precise question is actually uh, the viability of uh, Bersatu, as I mentioned before. I think passes uh, members, whether or not they are MPs, they are usually very disciplined right. in defeat. They typically would not leave their party. But Bersatu, because, uh, well, to put it not so kindly, a lot of them are remnants from Amnos. So, to, so with, with, with them, you know, if you ended up with the losing sides, well, then to, all your uh, benefits and projects and so on may no longer be there. And therefore, you would like to switch to the winning side. That indeed is what uh, is worrying about uh, Bersatu. On the show with me today is Dr. O. E. San, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Centre. After the break, I ask him how strong the Green Wave will be in the upcoming elections. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. O. E. San, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Centre. And we're talking about our fluid political landscape and if Anwar will survive the vote of confidence on the 19th of December. So, E. San, speaking of Perikata National, um, they have named Hamza Zainuddin as the opposition leader. Firstly, E. San, what does that... What does... Hamza Zainuddin's past actions. Um, you know, he has been in government over the past uh, 33 months or so um, before GE15. What does his past actions tell us about the kind of opposition leader that he will be? Well, Hamza Zainuddin was uh, elected uh, under uh, Barisan National in 2018. He then decided to switch to Basatu. And then from Bersatu, he was one of the ringleaders of uh, this uh, Sheraton move. Mm -hmm. And they uh, essentially brought Bersatu out to form a new uh, government. Uh, so you'll be very tempted to, to, to you know, then categorize uh, Hamza Zainuddin as somebody who is very good in political <laughs> uh, uh, scheming, right? I think his appointment as opposition leader, uh, or more appropriately, parliamentary opposition leader, because I think Mohidin would, would like to free up uh, more of his own time in uh, do, 
doing some other political activities while relegating uh, Hamza Zainuddin to take up like the day-to-day debates uh, in in parliaments and, and so on. Yeah. Right. So do you think that this is just, as you um, brought up, just a matter of, um, you know, De- delegating your soldiers to the to the appropriate roles, or is there something else like deeper divisions growing within Bersatu and Perikatan National? Is Tan Sri Muhyiddin being sidelined? Well, I, I think uh, it's very tempting to think so. I think for the moment, uh, he is still the face of Perikatan National. Because, uh, you know, past, uh, they're also very smart. They know that they are very strong, but they also know that uh, if they were to outright present themselves as the undisputed leader of Perikatan National, it might not be very conducive, for example, to foreign investors and as such. So to put up Muhyiddin as... Uh, you know, still the unifying leader of uh, Perikata National. I think at least short run, you would still uh, see that, yeah. Absolutely. And now, um, you know, speak, when we talk about whether, you know, this government is going to last um, perhaps five years or maybe it will crumble before the end of the term, uh, one aspect it also depends on is UMNO. Um, because within UMNO, there are people who, uh, like Sharil Hamdan, who from day one after elections, he said, no, um, we should accept defeat, we should be on the opposition, and so on and so forth. And then you also have people like Zaid Hamidi, who from day one after the elections, wanted and is now part of the government. I'm wondering how much... Uh, of a role does AMNO and the fluidity of AMNO's um, internal leadership, um, you know, they are going to um, have their own il- internal elections um, sometime in, in Q- end of Q1 or Q2 next year. Um, how, wh- what, how much does, how big of a role does AMNO play in keeping this, this current government intact? And could we see if, let's say, there are leadership changes in AMNO after their elections, that they make a different decision and decide to pull out of supporting this current um, coalition government? Well, I think AMNO is uh, indeed critical for the survival of uh, Anwar's uh, coalition government. This is because, uh, you know, not only they have like about 30 seats, but uh, the Sarawak uh, GPS coalition, I think uh, they are very likely to follow Anwar. Uh, sorry, to follow Amno wherever Amno goes. Uh, if Amno were to leave the government and to switch to the other side, likely at least GPS uh, would uh, also do so. Now, uh, both uh, Zahid Hamidi and even Mohidin Yassin, they were all. Oh, I'm no hand, so-called. <laughs> Just like Muhyiddin, you know, could not uh, keep uh, uh, Basatu as opposition party for long, Zahid Hamidi similarly knowing the machinations of AMNO, that, you know, the, a lot of uh, these uh, leaders and grassroots people and so on, they would like to still enjoy their perks, their positions, their benefits and so on. If they were not part of the government, AMNO, just like possibly Bersatu would face uh, the prospects of uh, disintegration as AMNO faced after the 2018 uh, uh, election defeat for, 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 for two years. 
So that's why I think uh, Zahid uh, was anxious to bring AMNO into a coalition uh, government. Of course, uh, in a general, uh, sorry, in a party election, if uh, let's say a new generation leader they won, they win, and uh, they would like to uh, bring AMNO out of the government or to the other side and so on, yeah, it would trigger the downfall of uh, Anwar Ibrahim's uh, uh, government, very likely so. But I think it's very difficult for these uh, other uh, AMNO leaders to, to come up against uh, Zahid Hamidi because he still remains... Um, uh, you know, very popular among the grassroots as well as the divisional leaders. Right. Um, can you help us understand better what the current factions look like in AMNO? Because at one point, um, during the Mohidin government and the Ismail Sabri government, um, people were talking about, let's say, two clusters. We have the court cluster and we have the cabinet cluster. But as we know, as time uh, passed, as things developed, and especially where we are today, um, things are much more, uh, you know, things have changed a lot. So what uh, are the current uh, makeup of the factions and who is vying for the top spot at the AMNO, uh, upcoming AMNO elections? Um, who is gunning to be president of AMNO? I think it's actually very similar to, uh, as before. Right. Just that perhaps they would have new names. For example, the mainstream or dominant uh, uh, cluster of faction in AMNO I would now rename it as, uh, well, the court plus cabinet cluster, right? right. Because the court cluster also became uh, recently the cabinet cluster. Mm -hmm. So they are the court plus cabinet clusters. Uh, the other the elements within AMNO, I wouldn't even call them faction. Uh, I would just call them elements. Perhaps they could be termed, uh, they, they could be described as uh, frustrated uh, individual leaders. Now, I don't think they actually firm themselves up uh, into another faction or even a few factions. I think what remains uh, are these uh, frustrated uh, senior leaders, people such as uh, Hishamuddin, people such as uh, Kairi. Well, they, they actually don't even hold leadership uh, positions within the, right. the party. And then, uh, you know, the former Prime Minister Ismail Sabri and so on. But, you know, they, could, they, they can't even, uh, like, uh, unite among themselves. I don't think KJ and Hisham and Ismail Sabri, you know, they, they sort of firm themselves up in a the, in the, in the faction. I think they just remained, uh, you know, their little kingdoms of uh, frustrated powers. <laughs> yeah. And do you think... Um that reform, because reform in AMNO is something that has been talked about since 2018 when Barisa National lost. Um, they always, um, you know, the the the, the so-called moderate AMNO people or the or the progressive block of AMNO, um, you know, has been talking about reform. Whether we're talking about KJ or the Sharil Hamdans of AMNO, they've been saying like, okay, we need to reform AMNO, we need to change AMNO, we need to reflect on our past mistakes, we need a change of leadership, so on and so forth. But can reform take shape in AMNO, given that AMNO is once again in government and its president, who is undergoing corruption charges, is the Deputy Prime Minister of Malaysia? Well, of course, uh, with uh, Zahid Hamidi firmly in charge of AMNO and people like KJ and the Sharil Handans and so on, uh, not having uh, you know, any significant party 
positions, uh, it, it would appear that uh, indeed such a reform would be very hard to get uh, going. Um, also, you know, re- re- reform is not only about changing leadership. Uh, it's also about, uh, you know, transforming the nature of uh, the party. The nature of the party over the last half century, unfortunately, as I said, has become, you know, a machine for distributing various benefits. If these benefits are not forthcoming, the party could very easily just disintegrate. Right. And we are starting to see that disintegration already happened in GE15. And this has a lot to do uh, with, in fact, it has perhaps a little bit to do with Pakatan Harapan and a lot to do with Prikatan National, mainly the Green Wave. Um, we saw the Green Wave um, you know, come in a very massive way um, during GE15. How strong is this green wave when we look at it from a national level, especially when we uh, we look at it from a peninsula level? Do we expect, you, you touched on this earlier, but do we expect a green wave in Penang and Selangor too? Because for the longest time, these, has been, these two states has been seen as Harapan's fortresses and so on and so forth. But at GE15, even Nurul Iza, um, who's one of the most popular politicians, um, you know, at a national level, she lost in Penang to pass. So what does that say about the upcoming state elections? Well, of course, uh, you saw the green wave uh, t- having taken over uh, not only the traditional uh, northeastern and northern states, right. but also the coastal areas of uh, Pahang, of uh, eastern Johor, and they even make uh, inroads into Negri Sembilan, Selangor, and uh, Perak, uh, for, for example. Um, I, I think if you look at the forthcoming uh, state elections, the northern and northeastern states uh, will still be decidedly uh, passed. Uh, but even, uh, let's say, Negri Sembilan, uh, there is a possibility that it could fall into Parekatan uh, hand. If you look at uh, Selangor, I think they will win quite significantly, uh, perhaps not enough to form, an, uh, to form a government uh, outright, which means uh, it would necessitate a uh, uh, coalition government at the state level, let's say, between uh, Pakatan and uh, Barisan. In Penang, uh, the Malay majority seats uh, are not uh, yet uh, half, but assuming the non-Malays are not coming out to vote, uh, well, you would see you you see uh, pass especially as at least a significant opposition. Yeah. And what would it say if, let's say, Perikata National does really well in places like Selangor, in places like Penang? Um, I think it is unfair for, let's say, the likes of Muhyiddin to to come out and say just because of Padang Serai, um, it went Perikata National's way, oh, it's a vote of no confidence against the current government and, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's just politicking, political posturing and, and things like that. But if Let's say Perikatan National and PAS make significant gains in places like Selangor and Penang. What what does that tell us about um, national politics today? Well, you would see uh, the two main political camps uh, 
would essentially becoming, you know, more religiously inspired one versus a more secular one. Uh, whereas before, it's uh, usually between the more conservative and the more reformist, right? So now uh, the, the two main political camps, uh, uh, camps uh, would uh, change the nature a little bit. I think we also have to put uh, the green wave in a more regional context. Mm -hmm. uh, Indonesia, for example, just uh, a few days ago passed laws uh, criminalizing uh, sex uh, out of wedlock, right? Whatever that, that, that means. Right. Uh, well, I think many would see that as uh, a decidedly uh, conservative uh, move and religiously uh, inspired. So this green wave is not just Malaysia. It is also Indonesia and perhaps uh, elsewhere in the world. Even Anwar's uh, favorite uh, Turkey over the last uh, 20 years or so uh, has also been engulfed by this uh, green wave. So, yeah, so you need to look at it from a more global or at least regional perspective. Before we wrap this conversation up, Isan, um, I want to circle back to the main challenge that Anwar, or the first big challenge that Anwar is going to face um, um, since forming the government and the cabinet, which is the vote of confidence, um, which he's calling for on the 19th of December in parliament. Now, many people have, experts have said that this is not a move that is um, needed necessarily, but it's a good move um, to, you know, as someone who champions democracy, To it's a good move to do this uh, vote of confidences in a, in a very transparent manner. And it's very brave of Anwar. Um, I think YB Azalina Otman used the word brave to describe Anwar's decision. Um, with all of that in mind and our discussions that we discussion that we had today, will Anwar survive the vote of confidence come December 19th? I think he's likely to survive, uh, although he may or may not get uh, uh, his uh, two-third uh, majority. Right. But again, the point is uh, surviving this uh, vote of confidence really doesn't guarantee that uh, he will get to rule for the next uh, four and a half to five years. It simply means uh, on that day, <laughs> his uh, government survives. The very, I mean, what is stopping, you know, some the colleagues of Azabina uh, from, uh, you know, saying they, he's signing all these SD saying they no longer support Anwar the very next day, right? Right. And thereby triggering uh, what we call Sheraton too. So, the, <laughs> I think it's high time also we should have some political uh, reforms. Uh, I was toying with the idea of a prime minister who, who is popularly elected and therefore right. would have, uh, let's say, a four or five years uh, mandate independent of, uh, of uh, parliamentary support, right? Mm -hmm. But then some friends uh, just reminded me, wow, how, what if such a person become very dictatorial and, right. and so on? Uh, well, then you can perhaps uh, do it, uh, one, take it one step back and do it like the Indonesian, uh, the old Indonesian model, whereby the president was elected by the parliament, 
for a fixed, let's say, four years or five years term. And uh, during this four or five years term, yes, you can impeach him or her, but you cannot just outright say we withdraw support from him or her. So we could perhaps do something similar. Yeah, Absolutely. So there's a lot more work to be done, um, mm. a lot more reforms that need to be done to basically solidify uh, uh, an election system that is more fair for everybody. On that note, Isan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much for having me on your show again. That was Dr. O. E. San, Principal Advisor of the Pacific Research Centre. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.